Alrighty, welcome to an Eastern Conference Finals preview Celtics Lab episode extraordinaire. This episode of the Celtics Live podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, and better help you deserve to be happy. We're here with Kai Russell of Heater's Gonna Heat podcast. We're here with Alex Tilberg. We're here with Dr. Justin Quinn. And we're here with a lot of deja vu because we're headed to a fourth Eastern Conference Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, uh, a third in four years, rather. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, this whole run has pretty much just been sit back and enjoy, so... That's still what I'm trying now. Sit back and enjoy the run. Yeah, we um, reaching back to last week, we were quite stressed here uh, in Celtics Nation, and then suddenly we were a little less stressed, and now we wiped the board and things are good. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that Philly series, but really we're going to look ahead at the series with Miami with some news sprinkled in. Alex and Justin, how are you? Doing okay. It's a pretty reasonably nice day out. Um, and I just got the news that your boy might be in the house for game one. So I'm feeling good. Oh, nice. Yeah. A little sleepy after all the glorious writing we got to do after that contest. Uh, definitely not the kind of writing I was worried a few days ago. But as we all know, uh, that is no longer a concern. We live to fight another day. Yeah, Kyle, from a somewhat unbiased point of view as you were watching the Sixers and the Celtics series unfolding what were kind of your thoughts over the the tail end of that series near the tail end of the series for me there I legitimately think the Celtics showed a lot of resolve as I can imagine for y'all you went down three two going into Philly game six and even through the first half of that with the struggles like it, it definitely looked bleak but I legitimately give a lot of credit to Jason Tatum in a weird way, more so for the Game 6 performance than the Game 7, just because of the way he bounced back to steal Game 6 in a way. And then, of course, Game 7, he just blows it out. I mean, by the end of Game 7, it looked like you were fine. You were clearly su- the superior team. It's kind of just the same thing I, I think I see from the outside looking in with Boston, which is can they get out of their own head and just be the better team that they typically can be? Justin, now that you've sat through all the postgame commentary and and kind of you've been tinkering through what people have said and thought about the game do you have any new thoughts on game seven or the series in general yeah namely the tenor that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum took in the post game I mean everyone's going to be playful when they close out a series right but it's not super common for players to profess their love for a city unless they plan on staying there somewhere like we see Bradley Beal doing pretty much every season. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the mutual love fest that was, you know, starting on the court and finishing in the post game, uh, you know, Jalen Hawking, uh, Jason shoes for him. Uh, Jason talking about how he really loves playing for the city of Boston, putting on the uniform, putting on big performances for the Celtics fans being embraced by them as one of their own. Uh, these are quotes that, in my mind, bear you know a lot of potential for the future. Uh, but also in the present, I think it's important that these guys have the the mood that they're in if they're going to stay out of their own heads. Because the the number one thing that we have seen from this team is they are very emotional and not like in like some kind of a pejorative way. Uh, emotion shouldn't be, you know, poo-pooed. It's important. And when these guys 
find themselves on the wrong end of success, the, the gas just comes right out of their balloon and they, they flop. But when they can put together a good defensive foundation, I think that that is the key for them, for their offense and for really everything else to flow from it. That is not to say that they are not an offensive oriented team because they are, they just need that defensive foundation. And I feel like the vibes that we were getting are incredibly conducive to that moving forward. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Justin, because I think it's also somewhat reflected in the way that they actually played the game. If you just like look at uh, kind of how guys were playing off of each other, when it became clear that um, the team was, well, first off, at the beginning, it seemed like the team was going out of their way to set up Jason Tatum for success, right? They were getting him the ball in his spots. Um, they were trying to run the offense through him early. As we mentioned uh, yet, you know, on the previous pod, the kind of pick and roll dance was a pretty important factor for Boston strategically early. And you could tell that the rest of the team saw what was happening. And I think they started to kind of settle into a groove where they were just following Jason Tatum's lead the whole way on offense and defense. Um, the thing that I think really stood out to me is that you know, for the first time in a while, it seems like there was no kind of hierarchy debate about the game seven situation. Everybody on that court knew this is Jason Tatum's game. I'm here to help him contribute to that. And I guess my hope going forward for this team is that those guys, like everybody else, you know, involved can kind of recognize that this Celtics team plays at their best when Jason Tatum is leading the attack the full way. And the game plan, regardless of the opponent, has got to be, let's get this dude active and going early. And if we do that, we're going to be fine. There's a real level of organic hierarchical development happening. And, you know, in a way that is not uh, toxic, that is not, you know, taking away from what other guys are doing but it, it feels kind of logical. And uh, my hope is that that can continue going forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll add before we, I guess we're going to bury the Sixers a little more. Why not? I, I have been thinking about Tatum's performance all game and, and I keep coming back to David Ortiz um, and that grand slam where Torrey Hunter ends up in the bullpen. I can't think of a recent Boston sports memory where a, a player was just like that much of a hero. I find it frustrating. So much of the national coverage that I've listened to today is about the Sixers, and I know that we're going to dance on them too, but 51 points in a Game 7 is bananas. I mean, adding yeah. on to that, just look at how much Steph Curry got a few weeks ago when he broke it for 50. Yeah. 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 But the, the thing there is dancing on the – it was the Kings, right? That's not yes. as exciting as – like taking a screwdriver and twisting it into James Harden's side. So I kind of get where it's coming from, but I don't know. I, I, the Kevin Durant line where like NBA fans hate basketball. Okay. Obviously it's so fun to talk about the Sixers. We are indeed about to talk about the Sixers, but man, there are not enough flowers in Holland to give to Jason Tatum right now. That dude, that that's a moment in basketball history, Celtics history, Boston sports history. That is nearly without rival. And now, if they it's, well, if they go and get swept by the Heat, you know, a little revisionist, uh, revisionist history steps in. It's all different. But now that we're we're still in the shadows of that, we're not even twenty four hours removed. I can't stop thinking about how miraculous it was. I also think, in addition, it may have also been a little bit the fact that you all blew out Philly, so that mm -hmm. can make it a little bit more overlooked. 
like Curry needed his 50 to, to put yeah, down the yeah. Kings. Uh, whereas it ca- almost kind of got washed away because like I tuned out a little bit once y'all went way up. So I, I ended up having to look at it afterwards. Oh, wow. 51 points. That's history, but it might go overlooked because of that, hmm. which is to your point bad. I mean, it literally just beat Curry's. Yeah. That, le- that was not a very long lasting record. Yeah. Man alive. Jason Tatum. Whoa. That dude. Yeah. That was, that was truly spectacular. And Justin, to your point, the, post-game press conference they were so playful they were they were really having fun they got to capture that that the confidence the wind in their sails the just like joy that was really absent obviously after the losses but even after some of the wins it was absent so they, they got to take that bottle and partition it for the rest of the way okay let's i, I want to move forward and look at the heat series so let's do this kyle you get first dibs this time next year ish where is Doc Rivers, where is James Harden, and where is Joel Embiid? And you have to pick one to talk about, and the other two will pick up your scraps. Okay. So I, if I were to bet, looking at history and also the fact that it's Daryl Morey, it's probably Embiid and Harden staying just because of the players of the assets. If Harden leaves, it's got nothing for that. So it's probably going to be Doc Rivers that falls on the sword, which has happened numerous times as well. So, like, I think the historical precedent's there that it's going to end up being Doc. It's just going to be the question then afterwards of what the contract negotiations look like with Harden, if they're willing to give him that max, and if he's going to get that from somewhere else. That That's the part that I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's not not good. I mean, change has to happen, especially after, after losing both Game 6 and Game 7 when you were up like that. But what are you all thinking? Who, who are you all pegging this one on? I mean, yesterday on the most recent podcast, I I slammed James Harden pretty hard for no showing yet again in a critical game seven or high stakes playoff game. It just seems like that is kind of who he is as a player. You know, he's 33 now. I don't think we're at the point where we're going to see the miraculous James Harden run coming. Um, and I feel like that's that's pretty much who he is. So to kind of circle back to Cam's question, I think the obvious guy who will not be on the Philadelphia 76ers next year for me is James Harden. He's a free agent. I would be shocked. I, I know Daryl has so much loyalty to that guy. I really do. But like, you can't pay James Harden a max contract. You just can't do it and expect to be a title contender. Um, and I know that the Houston Rockets have been rumored. And I know that James Harden has a lot of love for Houston. And I know that that's a place that he wants to I, I imagine James Harden wants to retire a Houston Rocket. I'll, I'll, I'll go out and say that. But I've been thinking about possible James Harden destinations, and there is one that I don't think enough people are talking about that stands out as a pretty reasonable, if not a little crazy, destination for James Harden. The Phoenix Suns wasn't that are reported? entering. Wasn't that reported today? Was that reported? I, 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 I looked into it a little bit. It didn't seem like it was like, super credible reporting, but I'm intrigued by the idea of James Harden, Phoenix Sun, repairing with Kevin Durant for the third time in his career. It seems like the Suns are at a crossroad. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton cannot be the future of that team. They need to make moves to help Kevin Durant and Devin Booker win right now. James Harden as your third best player rather than your second best player could have a lot of appeal to Phoenix, and Phoenix is not all that far from Houston either. So I'm picking James Harden, Phoenix Sun for next year. 
Kevin Durant's also like texting hard on the side, like, yo, Irving's not here and he's not going to be anywhere near here. You read my mind completely, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> and of course, Joel Embiid is playing staying in Philadelphia because they were with him when it was unclear if he was ever even going to step on a basketball court in the NBA. And they stuck with him through the entire process era. He'll give them one more season, uh, but if it's looking ugly by midway through the season, I would not be at all surprised to hear him ask out of Philadelphia. Uh, Ricky, Ricky uh, is calling foul on that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Ricky. I believe it with my heart. No, it's it's legitimate, especially if Embiid's the one pushing it. Because if Harden leaves, if Dawkins up staying, and now he's looking around halfway through the season – yeah, hundred percent. He could he could be that next disgruntled superstar out. Ricky I think because I heard a rumor like the Knicks might have been looking into that. Everybody I, is going to be looking into that. I mean, your own Miami Heat, your your own Miami Heat have been rumored as a team that will be looking at Joel Embiid should he be available. Well, sometimes that gets thrown out there just to try to get trade value up for other teams. The, I mean, I don't know if we could somehow keep Bam. I don't know. Nah, I don't think there's any way we can keep Bam on that. But one can dream. I do wonder, though, about, you know, how Joel Embiid arguably had his most successful playoff run with one Jimmy Butler as his teammate. I kind of wonder if there's some appeal there. But Tobias Harris over me? <laughs> I saw that one going around today. It still makes me laugh. Yeah. Well, we'll get into the heat in just a moment. <laughs> yeah. If I'm, jo- I'm Joel Embiid, I am asking for a trade right now. Uh, it's been front office malfeasance. They should never have let Jimmy go. The Mar- the Markel Fultz trade is patently ridiculous. They're going to hang out a really good coach and a professional coach out to dry, and the pathway for them to be successful moving forward just isn't there. Um, his quote about, you know, it's five guys out there, it can't just be me and James, got taken out of context. It was a well-reasoned quote, um, and it's more an indictment of the front office, not his teammates. The, the, the team was patently not good enough. It, it's a very dramatic ending, but that the Celtics won – uh, rather handily over the Sixers was always the, the betting favorite. Um, so if I'm Joel Embiid, I'm getting the hell out of there because Daryl Morey has just broken that team after the process broke that team. It's a joke franchise. It's a poverty franchise. Um, and if they pay James Harden, if anyone pays James Harden more than $10 million, that is so incorrect. Uh, look at his body. He's going to get more than that, and the Houston Rockets will happily hand him a two-year max. That's that's the kicker is that's who, two, yeah the two only takes two one year to throw out the contract. Did that's I true. did I mention that the second year is going to be partially guaranteed because it's going to be partially guaranteed? But they will give him two years at the max. Yeah, give him the old man treatment because uh, orchids don't wilt that fast. Jeez. All right, he, he got them to what like two Western Conference Finals. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, against the Clippers and then the Warriors, I think so. I thought the Clippers series was the second round. Remember, not everybody can be us and just regularly make the conference finals. Yeah, you have to keep that in mind. Two West Finals: one where they got, I believe, crushed by the San Antonio Spurs, and the other where they got crushed by the Golden State Warriors. Kyle, to your point, this is uh, Boston's ninth Eastern Conference Finals this century, which is true of the Miami Heat. Los Angeles Lakers and the San Antonio Spurs. So, yeah, not everyone. It's lonely at the top. Although, There's it's, your big franchises right there. Yeah, the big four. 
Okay, let's pause the action. Let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel, and then let's get into the action and actually talk about this conference finals. Sorry, Ricky barking and trying to not let Philly's front office uh, be the main <laughs> scapegoat here. Just get me agitated. Make it a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Kyle, uh, I actually don't know this. Um, what is this? Are you in Florida? Yeah, I'm uh, born and raised Jacksonville. Down in Miami a few years, back up in Jacksonville now. Do you have FanDuel in Florida? We should. Yes, yeah. yes, we That's do it. actually. Yeah, because they, they sponsor uh, some of the Miami podcasts down here. So yeah, we do have FanDuel. Cool. All right. We so like whether you, <laughs> whether you're in Boston or you're in Florida or you're somewhere else where you can gamble legally, there's no better place than FanDuel. It's the best place to bet all the playoff action, and it's America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. And as I hinted to before, there's a little bit of legalese here. You must be 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. A $10 deposit is required. The refund is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for C-O-I-A-M-I. N-J-O-H-P-A-I-L-T-N-V-A. Whether it's the acronyms or the states, it, there's no right answer. It's it's just like a riddle. <laughs> 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. You can call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia about that all right kyle of the heaters gonna heat podcast first of all uh i'm gonna steal your joke from offline to evoke paul rudd hey who thought who thought we'd be here um definitely not me yeah <laughs> definitely not me recap for us the path for the heat to get here i can fill in the gaps they they took the knicks to the cleaners they embarrassed and maybe dismantled the Bucks a little bit, but how did they get to that point? What was the regular season and the play and like for them? So this from like the heat fan perspective, and this isn't just me. This is also some of the other Miami podcast on there. This has been a bit of an aggravating season for Miami in the sense that it was a very much a roller coaster uh, from like a mentality perspective. It seemed to be a season where the team kind of just expected that once they played a little bit decently, that they would just rack up wins and they would be up in the first seed, and everything would be fine. That's, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to weigh in. When when the Heat came to Mexico City for the Mexico City games this season, uh, that's exactly what Max Drews told me, uh, and he believed it with every ounce of his soul. So I uh, 
thought it was a little bit crazy because they were, uh, I think, on a losing streak when they showed up and they were not doing good and they were really banged up. But, I mean, here we are. Yeah, it, it, and I think Max, right, with that quote right there, kind of encapsulated it. I know Joey Butler said something similar as well, where they didn't really buy so much into the process. And what the end result of this was is this is a season that the Miami Heat, this is the ones that I keep hammering in there. The regular season, they only had a one four-game win streak in December. That was it. Every time they started to get on the right track, they would relax a little bit. Oh, we're fine. We, we don't need to put in the work. Lose. Bad loss. And the end result of that, as you all know, is how they ended up falling into the play-in. And even, even in that first game against the Hawks, it was a little bit the same thing. Oh, it's the Hawks. We owned them last year. We owned them this year. We don't need to put in the work. Oh, maybe we did. We lost. Now the Bulls. They managed to just scrape by the Bulls. And then from then on out, it just seemed to be like once they got to the playoffs and they were able to just lock in on their opponent and shoot a little bit better from three. (laughs) No, that definitely helped. But it's been able to just catapult this miraculous run. Once they got past the Bucks, I felt pretty fine about the Knicks. And now here we are just somehow (laughs) back in the Eastern Conference Finals. It was definitely unpredictable given the season. Because, again, the whole season said this is a team that can't shoot threes and this is a team that can't string wins together. And both of those unpredictably flipped in the playoffs towards uh, Miami's favor. Uh, But for you all on the outside looking in, I know uh, I'm still a fan of Bill Simmons. I know he's not the most popular person, but he's been pushing a zombie heat narrative over the season. And I'm just curious, have you all felt a little bit of that as well? Or what have you seen from outside looking in as Miami somehow is right back here uh, against y'all. Yeah, I, I'm happy to jump in on that as a fellow Simmons listener. And listen, Bill Simmons, I think, is definitely wrong a lot of the time, but he's extremely good at podcasting. So just want to throw that out there. Um, I So with regard to the zombie heat narrative, I've been kind of tracking it. I really started tracking it in the play-in and then the subsequent playoffs. And, you know, I think the thing that just kind of jumps out to me is you can't talk about the zombie heat without talking about the fact that Jimmy Butler for two straight series completely asserted his will and controlled every aspect of how those series went. I mean, it's, it's a little crazy because you think, you know, with the analysis work that you do uh, to like study the game and understand all of the different statistical trends and all the different, you know, the, kind of pieces uh, that make modern day basketball analysis, it, 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 there are some things where it, it sometimes takes away a lot of the shock factor and the surprise factor of a lot of things. But that was an absolutely stunning series that truly nobody saw coming to see the heat just eviscerate Milwaukee in round one. Now I know Giannis got hurt. You can't talk about the series without mentioning that Giannis got hurt. At the same time, Jimmy Butler completely controlled the tempo and tone of that series. And he did so from opening tip. He never blinked once. He never showed any fear at all. And I think, you know, part of it is matchups. The Bucks' kind of key flaw that the Celtics had great success against this year was that their wing defenders were not up to the task of guarding like elite wing three and four players. Um, But holy crap, to see Jimmy Butler just completely take over a series like that was mind-boggling. And then to see him do it again, I mean, I I think with the Knicks, that that was a little bit less surprising. The Knicks are, you know, a pretty new playoff team. They have a lot of guys that are just sowing their playoff oats. 
But even so, you know, the Heat were the lower seed. They didn't have home court. They were banged up after Tyler Hero broke his hand and Victor Oladipo subsequently got hurt again. So to, to see the zombie Heat narrative, I think, I, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that anybody, like, saw it coming. I don't, you know, I think Simmons himself would say he, he put a fork in the Heat. Um, and I think most people did, myself included, after they lost that first play-in game against Atlanta. That really seemed like a low point for them and a sign that the season was over. And then Jimmy Butler just brought them back through sheer force of will and destructive power. And now they're in the East Finals. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really competitive series, fellas. I think this is going to be a war. (coughs) Before we get into any of that, I'm going to pause the action again and talk about our friends at BetterHelp before we talk about war. Uh, Whether you want to make a positive change in your life, Justin, don't do that. You'll get suspended by the NBA. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, I haven't even started my Bill Simmons union busting rant. Um, If you want to make positive change in your life, if you're down in your dumps and you're feeling good and you want to keep it moving, it can be really helpful to talk to someone about it and someone who knows how to have those kind of conversations. So that's why Per usual, we're really happy to talk about BetterHelp, um, who is a sponsor of this podcast. Again, the, the the knock on therapy sometimes is it's only when you're hit rock bottom, and that's not the case at all. It could be when you took a little bit of a stumble, or again, you're trying to level up. It could be when you're looking at things through a positive lens. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp's a really great place to start. It's entirely online. It's made to be convenient. It's suited to your schedule. It prioritizes flexibility. And it starts with a brief questionnaire. It's as easy as that. So whether you are down on your luck or you're feeling good and you want to talk to someone about it, you should consider heading over to BetterHelp. Use our promo code CELTLAB by visiting betterhelp.com slash CELTLAB to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash CELTLAB. Yeah. Uh, let your writers unionize and don't go on Instagram live again. <laughs> that that would be my advice to anyone who might need it. Okay, kitties. Uh, Alex, you are exactly right. This is going to be a really competitive series. The regular season doesn't mean what it maybe used to mean. Certainly if you're a veteran team, certainly if you're a team that's had some injuries, certainly if the three-point shot uh, creates a lot of variance. So yes, Miami had to go through the plan, and yes, they're technically an eight seed, but we have seen in recent years that they are right on the level with the Celtics, or nearly there. So we'll get into the minutia, um, I, I guess, in a moment. But let's go around the horn. Kyle, what is the thing that you're looking for most? Well, I'll go first just to set an example. Sorry if I steal anyone. So the thing that I'm looking for most is whether or not Boston goes big or not. It was really helpful against the Sixers, and it was really helpful for Atlanta in that aforementioned play-in game. I think that that is a pathway to success, I doubt, the Celtics continue to go big because it seems like Joe Mazzula hates it, but I'd be really curious if that plays out. So Kyle, and then I'll go to Justin Alex, what is one sliver of this series that you're really looking forward to analyzing or seeing or pondering? I think actually the headliner for this should be Jimmy Butler versus Jason Tatum. Just, uh, I'm not going to, especially not after 51 point performance, say that Jimmy Butler is better than Jason Tatum but I do think it is close enough that it could swing one way or the other. And whichever of those players ends up being the best one in this series, that's going to be a significant edge 
to to that team. I mean, both these players can go off for huge games, 40 plus point games that can literally decide it themselves. So who has most of who has more of those big shooting performances? Do we even see them maybe matched up directly, like defending each other, like one on one kind of stuff? Uh, and just who walks out like, you know, with the championship belt between those two? Sure. I think that I think you're probably right about that. It'd be cool if they got a championship belt. Actually, at this point, do they have the the Eastern Conference Final MVP, the Larry Bird Trophy? Yeah, but that's not a belt. You don't wear it on your shoulder. True. Oh, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Make it into a belt. Doctor Quinn, what is something you're looking for? Who else is going to score besides Jimmy? Because if only Jimmy is able to put points on the board, uh, they're going to have a real hard time, particularly against uh, Boston's defense, the way it's been playing recently as well. you know, the obvious answer would be, you know, how emotional the Celtics are playing and whether or not the Miami Heat's defense can junk it up enough. But, like, for me, I think if they haven't learned this lesson by now, I'm not going to finish that sentence. The thing for them to focus on, I think, is shutting down Jimmy Butler and praying they cannot find a consistent source of offense besides him. Oh, nice. Important case, if you look at it real quick, just the Knicks series versus the Bucks. Arguably, the one thing the Bucks didn't do was try to stop Jimmy. They thought Drew Holiday would be enough. And the Knicks said, no, 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 no. We're going to force Jimmy to be a playmaker. And though we did still beat the Knicks, it still go longer. It was a more effective strategy. Fair and enough. I, I think my point is related to Justin's, but a little bit more honed in on one player in particular. Which Bam out of bio are we getting? That is, I think, the centerpiece of this series. Heh, <laughs> centerpiece. Um, no, but I, <laughs> I do think that that's a critical uh, piece that Miami is, like, on a game-to-game basis, that's going to determine a lot about Miami's success or failure. There have been games where Bam Adebayo has looked comfortable. He's looked locked in. He's been able to defend at five, you know, at three levels the whole time and, uh, you know, shut off driving angles and, get into his offense with like those weird little jump hooks that he's able to do and sky over guys for rebounds and use his size and athleticism to get in the way. And there have been times where Bam Adebayo has looked completely out of it in some of these games where he's chucking away happily from the nail and mid range and bricking things and not getting involved defensively and getting back cut. And, you know, I just think he's such a critical piece for Miami to your point, Justin, you know, who is that second scorer? Who's that guy that's going to step up? The Miami Heat cannot win this series with Bam Adebayo playing inconsistently. He has to be good on a game-to-game basis because with apologies to Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle, the Celtics front court is, I think, the most disciplined and intelligent and challenging front court that Miami has faced to this point. And Bam is going to need to be excellent for them to win. Yeah, I mean, and in, in the first round, he had a bit of his hands full with Brooke Lopez and Giannis. Like, defensively, for the most part, he's been good. Giannis Lopez first round, Randall and uh, Mitchell Robinson in the second round. So defensive end's been fine. It's been mainly the offensive end. And if I'm the Celtics fans, what I'm looking for is, is Bam making quick decisions or is he thinking about it? Because very consistently throughout the regular season, especially early on when he was on a bit more of a hot streak, he would just catch and make quick decisions. And then over the season went on, the decisions got slower and slower and his offense got worse and worse. So for y'all, it's going to be, is Bam just catching and going? Or are y'all making him think about it? Because that's what's going to get him to more of those bad possessions. So for me, I want him to just catch and go. And just one more point on that. To that end, 
Bam Adebayo is at his most effective when he's able to draw fouls. And I think one of the things that the Celtics struggled with in their series against Miami last year was that Robert Williams was compromised and getting in foul trouble constantly. Um, if he's able to stay on the floor and not foul, that presents a completely different wrinkle for Boston's defense and makes everything more challenging for Miami. So is Bam going to be aggressive? Is Bam going to be driving to the hoop? Is he going to be drawing contact and putting pressure on Horford and Williams to defend without fouling? I mean, that, that to me is just, that's a critical component. I, I have kind of baked in that I think Jimmy and Tatum are both going to be playing at a high level to some degree. For me, the X factor is Bam. Sure. So, Kyle, I, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to give you some of the role players on the Heat. I'm going to ask you to just kind of give us a sit rep on them because their names we're familiar with, but uh, people who maybe aren't dialed into Miami haven't necessarily been paying attention. So let me cross off a few names that I'm not going to ask you to cover. First of all, Tyler Heroes hurt, so we don't need to talk about him. Um, unless there's no chance he comes back. His hand's still, uh, very, his hand's still no. very broken, right? Well, there could be some debate. So he got the cast off last week. Uh, the big, the the original diagnosis was going to be four to six weeks, which would have put it around the beginning to end of the conference finals. Uh, got the cast off last week, but just reported today he has not been dribbling or shooting, and this was his right hand, so his shooting hand in particular. So he's definitely been ruled out for game one. I would think in a maybe best case scenario, a game three or four off the bench or in like a blowout situation to start to try to get some rust off, but. That's a best case. I could also say worst case, he's not ready for game six. And by then, do you really want to throw him out in a game six in that kind of pressure environment? I know. So if he's not there by three through five, I think he's probably out for the series. I mean, Tyler Hero is... Uh, we're late in the podcast. Tyler Hero is fucking barbecue chicken on defense. So I, I think that well, he'd hope his hand is broken. He did. He has been better this year. I will, I will say that. Last year, definitely bad. This year, he's been closer to neutral. So, like, he'll still just, be hunted, but... Just grilled chicken, then. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit less barbecue sauce on there now. Sure. Um, I'm not going to ask you about Caleb Martin, not because he's not a dog, but just, like, ever since he did this, I think everyone knows that he is a crazy X factor. Instead, I'm going to ask you about the most exciting player in the series. That's obviously Cody Zeller. What's the latest with Cody Zeller? So Zeller, I've been legitimately impressed with, uh, mainly just because he's been able to do the two things that Miami typically wants from a backup five. Mm-hmm. Bring lots of energy and then just execute whatever you whatever can be done. Uh, which the big juxtaposition there is to who we had prior to him, which is Dwayne Dedman. And Dedman, with a granted foot injury this year, so however much you want to attribute to that, but or age or whatever, but terrible year. Art, like You could literally look at it, it would be like, Bam plus 15, Deadman minus 15, Heat lost by like two or three. Yeah. So he was literally costing games throughout. So just being better than, than a, a literal negative has been huge for Miami just to survive in those minutes so Bam can get some rest. And then on the offensive end, well, sorry, offensive and defensive end, I've been impressed throughout the playoffs how he's been able to hold up against like legitimate front courts. Again, Brooke Lopez, yeah. Giannis in the first. Uh, Randall, Mitchell Robinson, and Wilson, Hartenstein in the second. So Zeller's been a great backup five for us. Yeah, high, high motor too from Zeller. Okay, yep. um, what about Kevin Love? What's the latest with Kevin Love? Kevin Love, on and off the court, has been a phenomenal addition for the Heat. 
off the court, there's been a lot of talk about him being a positive locker room presence for a team that, as I already mentioned, had has a lot had a lot of ups and downs throughout the season. So, you know, just a positive locker room influence is good. And then on the court, he's just been a legitimate professional, whether that's been I mean, he's been in and out of the starting lineup a few times and now the rotation a few times, just took it all in stride, but really started to blossom in the playoffs as kind of like a stretch four to start out games with. Uh, and then particularly the outlet passes, primarily against New York yeah. because they like to cross, uh, cl- crash the offensive glass so hard. All it would take is just Kevin Love grabbing that, oh, they all crashed the offensive glass. There's Jimmy all the way open down there. So he's been able to fit in. Again, it, it's a lot of the same things that Miami's been asking of these role players, which is like bring your energy and execute the game plan. And he has fit in perfectly with that as well, just like with Zeller. All right, then uh, last one. Admittedly, perhaps my would make my favorite NBA player, all all Cameron favorite NBA team, uh, Kyle Lowry. What's the latest with Kyle Lowry? Lowry, Lowry has been an example of sometimes you have to punt a little bit on the regular season for the playoffs in that this is another season where he started to break down, started to get injured. Um, there was some grumblings because essentially what the Heat wanted him to do was, hey, we're going to have you sit out games. And then we want you to come off the bench and him being a long time star did not want to do that and competitor, all that good stuff, but it's paid off come playoff time because he has been, he has been the sixth man that arguably Miami has been missing since Tyler hero got promoted to the starting lineup and Victor Oladipo didn't really turn out. And we, I mean, we see it, they've seen this in games. He's still out there grifting like mm-hmm. a, just a cheap, a cheap foul merchant out there. I'll, I'll call it out. We all have somebody like that on our teams. Uh, Marcus Smart for y'all to a degree. Uh, but I'm just impressed about at how well this worked out, that Miami put in the time to get him the rest in the regular season, and it's paying dividends come playoff time. Definitely healthier than he was last year, which could be a, a big difference as well. Yeah, I I, I think Kyle, Kyle Lowry looks scary good. Um, I don't think Malcolm Brogdon can play when Jimmy Butler is on the court because Jimmy's just going to hunt him into oblivion, but... I'm fearful Kyle Lowry would do the same thing. All right, we can begin to wrap because, you know, these teams are familiar with one another, so the fans are familiar with with what they're going to see. So just a few things. First, for anyone listening, the the conference final starts on Wednesday. All the games start 8.30 Eastern. So uh, that's great. (laughs) That's that's fun. Um, Celtics obviously have home court, so it'll be Wednesday and Friday in Boston, and the action swings to Miami. Every other day, same time, TNT has it all. I'm going to try to get my hands on someone at TNT to tell me about this drone if they bring that back. Um, and then before we, we kind of make our predictions for the series, shout out to Grant Williams. He's a finalist for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award, along with Jaron Jackson Jr., Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Trey Jones. But I hope Grant wins. Good guy, Grant. Okay, <laughs> Kyle, ESPN says that the Miami have a 3% chance to win this series, which is kind of stark. Um, yeah, for the YouTube crowd, uh, that's probably even more than what 3% really is. Yep. I, I'll swing it to you. I actually, let's go around the horn, Kyle. You get first bite at the apple. They said, they said according to ESPN Analytics, so uh, according to Kyle Analytics, what percent chance do each team have at winning this thing? I have not done percentages, admittedly, but it would definitely be in favor for the Celtics, and I do legitimately understand that. 
So I think the, the counter argument, and I think that the big thing that you bring up there was that they were using analytics. So the base of the counter argument has been how literally unpredictable by analytics this heat run has been <laughs> over the course of the playoffs. Now, don't know if that's necessarily going to continue. It could literally hit a brick wall game one. And I mean, hey, I don't really have too much to complain about there. Uh, but I do still see a chance for Miami. I mean, it, it, for the me, for the main things just come down to things like can Spolstra out coach Missoula or can Missoula keep up with Spolstra's adjustments? Uh, what happens when this game, when these games get muddy or ugly? I will say though, not so much a percentile prediction, which I know was, was kind of what we're going for, but if I were to give a prediction for the series itself, I would say if the heat win, it'll be in seven, but for Celtics, most likely it would be Celtics in six or seven. Dr. Quinn, you're a doctor. Uh, FanDuel. Probably not the kind you need me to be, but we'll see. FanDuel data. has the Celtics as a minus 550 to win the series. According to your number crunching, what uh, percentage or what odds would you give the Celtics and what percentage or what odds would you give the Heat? Oh, God, you're asking a social scientist to do math? Oh, boy. Alex, I'm going to uh, give you a math problem, too. Get ready. Oh, no, this is going to go terrible. But uh, there's a good chance that things will go terrible for Boston, too, if they did not actually learn the lessons we think they did from games uh, six and seven of this series and really the last several years. I give the Heat a 30% chance, uh, and that might even feel a little bit low. Just because uh, Eric Spolstra is easily the best head coach. I know, Alex, you feel the same way in the NBA right now. And Joe is vastly better than he gets credit for, but he he's not even in the same room as Spolstra in terms of capabilities or experience at this point. So that's a pretty heavy advantage. Uh, you know, Just missing a trip to the finals by a couple of inches uh, on your shot is another great motivator. And Jimmy Butler doesn't need motivation to begin with. So I think it's a huge mistake to, to think that this is going to be a walkover series. Uh, in our private conversations, I have tried to talk myself into this being a short series because of the Tyler Hero injury. But as Alex was nice to point out to me, uh, just to put me back in the place where my mind should be, if the, the Celtics approach this series with anything less than trying to put the boot on the neck from the very first moment of the very first game, they might end up on the other end of the going fishing uh, side of things in a few weeks. Nothing wrong with fishing. Lots of things are wrong with fishing if you're in the NBA. Alex, the, the good folks at 538 give the Celtics a 78% chance to advance, which if you're playing the home game, that means Miami has a 22% chance of advancing. I will ask you also, I don't think a huge fan of math. Uh, where, What numbers are you crunching? Has anyone given me a math answer yet? Uh, Justin uh, did. He gave you like 30%. I said 30%. Uh, that's a number. I feel yeah, like it's that's a not a whole number. That's a, anyway, it's a fraction. Decimal. Like NASA decimal. over here. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, so, you know, I have a number of issues with uh, Nate Silver and the folks over at 538. Um, for one, you know, the nerds and the number crunchers can't factor in things like uh, big chest energy from Jimmy Butler. They can't factor in Eric Spolstra and the jungle of the mind that the Celtics are going to have to navigate through to win this series. There are just some things that don't have clean statistical numbers attached to them. And I have been on the record as saying that I think 
this is going to be a dogfight series because I think that Miami is going to do exactly what they always do, which is throw their bodies around into people careening off of things, make life difficult for everybody, challenge the Celtics to uh, show mental fortitude and physical toughness in a way that frankly, none of the teams that they have encountered thus far will be able to. Um, to that end, I am willing to say that I think the Miami Heat have a 40% chance of winning this series, which is defying, I think, most conventional wisdom as far as the stats and the odds uh, would project. I just think that there is something about Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra, and that alchemy with the Miami Heat where this, there is absolutely no way that this is going to be a clean, easy walkover. Uh, and I haven't thought that for a moment since we knew that this was going to be the matchup. I think building on that as well, because um, I know this gets brought up as, a lot as, uh, over the years, is the growing gap between the regular season and the playoffs in terms of like how they're played, what works, what doesn't. And I do think of that is factoring a good bit in this as well, because if you're just going off of regular season statistics, but this team plays differently or plays better in the playoffs, that's not going to translate over. And by the time you would even see that in the playoffs – you would need probably what five, six game sample size. That's two series right there. Yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, I think, according to uh, Basketball Reference, had for the regular season the twenty fifth, twenty fifth best offense. And there's no way you get past the the Milwaukee Bucks. Never mind two series with the twenty fifth best offense in the NBA. So it's very clearly not the case. We got up to twenty fifth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as y'all know, I'm not as much a math guy. I'm more a social sciences guy. And, you know, I like to particularly study things like the intersection of philosophy and film. I find that particularly fascinating. And um, to me, there's no better film that represents what the Celtics are about to go through than Apocalypse Now. And Jimmy Butler is a worthy Colonel Quartz. You will have to destroy every concept of yourself to beat the Miami Heat in this series. And I think the Celtics can do it. I think they have done it before, but they're going to have to emerge covered in mud and green paint and slaughter uh, the god king, Jimmy Butler, to make this happen. I mean, that was the, the I think, maybe the main takeaway from last year. Well, how Miami even got to that Jimmy shot in the first place was always just the mental fortitude of the heat as mainly, you know, uh, and characterized by Jimmy Butler uh, versus a still relatively young Celtics team. So like Justin has said as well, it just comes back to, I legitimately think it, it just comes back to that lesson. Have they learned to be the better team? If not, Miami's going to take advantage of that. Uh, if so, it's not too much the Heat can, can do. Yeah, uh, the Celtics are going to win the series in five games. <laughs> it, it, was like, nice. it, it was all nice. Like everything you guys laid out was nice, but um, the Heat are playing with house money. The Bucks fired their coach immediately. That was an unhappy team. The Knicks were not nearly as good as the record implied. They were also very unhappy. And the Boston Celtics are dramatically the better team. And look, they they spun their tires a little bit, but they're not looking back. So Celtics in five, it's it's pretty obvious to me that they're going to advance. Um, and I, if not, I hope so. I could I could use an easy series for a change. <laughs> it's happy. not happening. I don't believe you, but. <clears throat> it, well, I mean, it could still be five. It's just going to be five really grueling games. Yeah, sure. That Maybe. part's going to be for true. Maybe. 
This episode of the Celtics Lab podcast was brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. Kyle Russell of Heater's Gonna Heat podcast. Thanks again, as always, for being our number one source for all things Miami Heat. Uh, it's you with Lebetard. I know, right down there in Miami sports media. We'd pick you 100 times out of 100. So thanks for coming by and tell the people where they can find you. Very much appreciate coming by. Always good. I mean, this is pretty much just becoming a yearly thing at this point. Yeah. But uh, you can all find me at either off Twitter at Heaters Heating or myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Cool. You can find us. Where, I mean, if you've got this from the podcast, you know where to find the podcast. Check out Celtics Wire. That's where Justin and I write. Check out Divine Sweater. That's where Alex plays space. Brooklyn, um, two weeks. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, big tour. Big summer tour. Check it out. Divine Sweater. They played the music at the top. I've recently learned they don't play our outro music, which at this point you're probably hearing right now. So thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Adios.